Today we hear a favorite story from the Gospel of Luke that some of us may remember from Sunday school. As we have all, as we have all autumn, we continue following along with our children and youth in their church school curriculum in Seeking Just Together. Let us open our ears, our minds, and our imaginations, and our souls as we listen across time and space and seek to hear the story again for the first time. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him when, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Just as we are, God, and as just as we come to you, whether climbing up in a tree or sitting down in a pew, whether we come on our knees or come exalted in a wave of glory, you meet us where we are. So we come here to meet you and pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. In a week and a half, we will begin our Advent worship again, where we uh, this year will gather online on Zoom as we did last year. And for several years now, we have shared midrashes, which is a Jewish tradition of interpreting the story, filling in the blanks, the spaces between the lines. We've done that with the announcement stories in Advent, when the angels come to Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. 
So in that spirit, I offer this midrash this morning, a letter from Zacchaeus. Grace and peace to you. I, Zacchaeus, having received the good grace of Jesus, the risen one, greet you with this testimony of his power in my life. You see, for many years I had been hearing about this rabbi, this Yeshua of Nazareth, or as he's come to be known to you, Jesus. As for my background, I should tell you I was always the shortest one. Among any of the children in the town, in the synagogue, even in my family, although we are not known to be a tall people. And I can tell you that we feel, you feel vulnerable being short. You get overlooked a lot. And yes, you get teased, you even get picked up and tossed around and often patronized. But you are also able to get in and out of places and tight spots a lot more quickly than other people. Fortunately for me, I also knew that I was smart, and my parents had the means to make sure I got a good education. One of my earliest memories was when I was playing with a bunch of children in the street, and some of the bigger children were picking on one lonely child who had a limp. I knew this child. I knew his family. They were good people, friends of my parents. My, our fathers did business together. And I yelled at the other children to stop. And one of the biggest and oldest among them came up to me and said, who's going to make us stop? And I don't remember what I said after that, but I remember that whatever I said, it made them stop. And from that moment on, I knew that my intelligence could change things. So why did I go into tax collecting? You see, I'd always been good with words and numbers. I helped my father settle his accounts in his textile trade. And once at a Shabbat dinner, my uncle Simeon had told me, look, Zacchaeus, you're smart, you're clever, you have a certain kind of inner strength, and you can benefit from the awesome power and might of the Roman Empire. You need to move ahead with your life, Zacchaeus. He said, take your opportunities. No one else will be looking out for a little man like you. And so I took his advice and I began working for the empire. The way it worked was that the Roman government contracted me to collect taxes for them. And each year I paid the contract up front and that it was my responsibility to collect from my fellow citizens, taxes, tolls, tariffs, custom fees, all in my area around Jericho. Now, in Judea, where Jericho resides, and all the surrounding area at that time, the Romans had all the power. You could say that the religious or local authorities had power too, but at the end of the day, it was the Romans' game. And collaborating with them was much preferable to being ground down beneath their boots. And over time, I discovered lots of small ways to increase the profits. Most of the people that I collected from couldn't read, so I already had an advantage there from the start. And one of the most effective tactics was a kind of transport and security fee, charging a little extra to make sure that their funds got safe delivery to the Roman officials. I charged late fees all the time, and there was also a currency exchange fee, which was very useful and profitable. And all these little things added up. 
and the money just flowed in. And the more I got, the more I wanted. Never mind that I got to a point I couldn't spend it all. It just was a big game to me, and I love games. I was good at games. I was good at strategy, and I had a talent for this kind of work. Eventually, I got so caught up in the game, caught up in the strategy, that I didn't notice how much the people around me despised me. And why would they like me? I worked for the enemy, the empire. Gradually, I started noticing it. I, I, could, I could feel it in the looks they gave me on the streets, the stares and the scowls, or the ways that people would kind of scatter and whisper when I walked by. I had advanced to a position where I rarely had to collect the taxes myself, but I had plenty of assistance and others reporting to me. And I had built up a successful household with servants, a cook, a gardener, even a very necessary guard at the gate. But there was this gnawing sense that the people I called my friends, people who came to my house, who attended my dinners, there was always this lurking feeling that they were only interested in me for my wealth, that secretly they despised me. Sometimes they laughed too readily and loudly at my jokes, or they were very eager to please me. And the people closest to me, the people I trusted the most, were the servants in my household. But they and I both knew it was a financial arrangement. I was an exacting boss. I had very high standards. And I never, ever let anyone cross me. And if they did, they were out of the compound within minutes. So as I grew wealthier and more satisfied with more people working for me, I also had more time to reflect on my life. And I developed a routine of after, on quiet nights after dinner, I would retire to the enclosed patio and look out at the moon or the stars and feel the calming evening breeze. And I would start to reflect back on my life as well as my plans ahead. And I found myself going back again and again to that time I stood up to the bully. And I gradually realized that I now worked for the bully. Something began to grow in me, a desire to be better than I was, to be more generous, to find a way out of myself and my self-imposed loneliness. And I couldn't have given you words for it at the time, but it kept working in me. You see, I had built such a security around me and my strategies had built such a structure that I had literally walled myself in. I had come to a point where I had no real friendships, no real sense of human connection, and I realized that I was lonely. And then I remember hearing about this strange rabbi, this Yeshua of Nazareth, and his team of failed fishermen. I heard about his healings and his miracles, that he turned water into wine and fed hordes of hungry people out of nothing, and even that he walked on the water. And I was, of course, very skeptical. Another false messiah who pours on the charm and the smoke and the mirrors and ends up disappointing and already desperate people. And yet, the day he came into Jericho, I knew I had to see him. It was strange how I felt this immediate childlike urge, like running and climbing up a tree. Anyone who would have seen it would have known it was undignified for a man of my position, of my standing, and it certainly would cause me to lose face. 
And if I had known what would happen next, I never would have climbed that tree. If I had known that my life was about to change forever, I would have stayed home. But like a 12-year-old, eager and naive, I scampered up that tree. I even tore some of my robe on the way up. A few people caught sight of me and they laughed at me, but I didn't care. I was so intent. And I was very happy to be a mere observer up on the branch. As I got up there, I could see immediately that there was a light about this man, something undeniable for sure. And then his eyes caught mine and he called my name. And all I can say is when he looked at me, there was this combination of strength and compassion, a sense that you could trust him with anything, including your very life and your well-being. And I saw that he saw me and he knew me thoroughly. And there was also this immediate sense that I was important and that I mattered not just because of my wealth or even my skills, but because of who I was deep in my God-given soul. He reminded me that I was the son of Abraham, that I was part of a great family of humanity. And in that moment, I had a clear sense that I had forsaken all of that family business to go it alone. He said that he came to seek out the lost, to help them be found, and that was his responsibility, his life's work. And my responsibility was to allow myself to realize that I was lost, to allow myself to be saved. He did indeed come to my house, and the cook put on a beautiful meal, and his strange, smelly disciples and the other people from the crowd came. I was powerless to say no. It was the strangest, most fantastic, most life-changing day of my life. They tell me that right before this happened, right before I met Yeshua of Nazareth, he had met a rich young man who had asked him what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus apparently told him he had to go and sell everything he had. And right after that, he met a blind man, and he gave him his sight. And in so many ways, he helped me do both those things. To give more generously of my wealth, and not just my money, but my talents. And he helped me see again. To really see life. To live life. To see other people as siblings, as people to love, not to extort or to exploit. And I did, in fact, give half of my possessions to the poor. I didn't do it right away, but I did it over the next year. And I did have a few cases in which I clearly had been in the wrong, and I paid back four times the amount, which is twice what the book of Leviticus requires. Eventually, I joined one of these strange communities, the, way, the people who were seeking to follow Jesus' teaching. We had one little one right here in Jericho. And over time, I would give all of my resources to them. They were such an odd bunch not the kind of people I would ever have over to my house. And they put me in charge of the funds to think creatively about resources in ways that followed the Savior. 
And in this community of strangers and outcasts and out of the ordinary families and loners, I found my own way into life. A life much fuller and more complete, much more abundant than I had ever imagined. One where I had new siblings and nieces and nephews, eventually my own grandchildren, all by joining them in following the way of Yeshua, whom we now call Christ, the Anointed One. And what I discovered is that, like me, no one is beyond changing. Just as Jesus saw in me, I saw that no one can be defined by the prejudices and stories that we tell ourselves about them. That within each of our self-imposed cages and walls, there are living, breathing souls often yearning to break free. And I discovered that if you're willing to trust it, there is such a thing as a wideness in God's mercy that is wider than the sea. Grace and peace to you all, your loving disciple and servant, Zacchaeus.